All right. Good morning again. Uh, I want to welcome all the visitors that are here with us today. Thankful that you've decided to join us, whether here in person or online. Uh, very thankful uh, to be with you all again this morning. Uh, so just to recap kind of what we've been going through. We've been going through 1 Samuel for quite some time now, and it doesn't look like it's going to end anytime soon, so I'm sorry. Uh, so last week we were uh, talking about all of this perceived power that we like to enjoy on earth. Sometimes we surround ourselves with powerful people. We see ourselves as powerful people. Sometimes we even see the church as this unit of power for us to exploit and to receive. But yet, but last week we also talked about what real power looks like in that oftentimes when it's a human being who's in charge that seems to be the powerful one, that just ain't it, right? It, the, the, the human being is going to die one day, and that human being is not worth putting all of our hope and trust in. But we find ourselves in a, in a pretty good position as Christians because we recognize that Christ is our king, amen? That was very underwhelming. Christ is our king, right? Okay, the, the people of Israel, they wanted a king. They wanted to be just like every other nation, right? And so they went to Samuel and they said, we no longer really want you because you're old and your kids don't follow your ways. Provide for us a king. And so God says, you know what, Samuel, they're not against you. They're against me. And so we're going to give them a king and listen to what they say. And we're going to give them the most tall and pretty king that you could ever possibly imagine, right? King Saul. Today we're going to look at this new king, this tall and handsome king, and see kind of what God is doing in and among his people in the midst of this situation. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be open to 1 Samuel chapter 10. I'm going to start reading here. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be the prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be a sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be the prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin of Zelza. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you, have, that you went to seek are found. And now you're to find the, your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and it is, it is anxious about you saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and then come to an oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibbeth Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. So if you're like me, sometimes I get to parts of the Bible like this, and my eyes are reading something, but my mind is elsewhere. Your mind starts to wander a little bit because there's a whole lot of names that I can't pronounce right. There's a whole lot of things that happen in sequence. And it just seems like, why am I reading this? Why is this important to me? Maybe you, as I was reading that, your, your mind started to kind of wander a little bit. It's okay if it did. Okay, I understand that my voice might, you know, 
not be the best to listen to and you do all you can just to kind of lose some focus for a little bit. Maybe your eyes gloss over for a minute, but I want to say there's a reason for this to be here, okay? There is an absolute reason for this to be here. If you look through all the things that have been said, there's several things that are, li- that are listed, right? The first thing, uh, there are these, there's going to be three men carrying three young goats. That's a really strong person, right? I guess. Three young goats, that seems like a lot. Three loaves of bread. Why all these specific things, right? You're going to go to this place and uh, you're going to see this person at this specific tree and they're going to say something specific to you, right? As you go from there, you're going to meet these prophets who are coming down carrying different instruments, right? And you're saying, okay, this does not seem to apply to me. But what I think we're supposed to read to this and what we're supposed to see is that Samuel is trying to confirm all this crazy happening that is happening in Saul's life. Okay, can you imagine being in Saul's position, right? Last week we talked that Saul was in search for his donkey and Israel finds their donkey in Saul, right? We have a little bit of foresight as to what happens next. Saul isn't the greatest guy to model your life after, but... It's this simple person who's on a simple task of finding his father's animals. And along his way, he cannot seem to find these animals. And along the way, he finds this man, Samuel. And then all of a sudden, Samuel says, you are going to be king of Israel. How crazy does that sound? It's almost too good to be true. Or maybe not too good, too weird to be true. It's like waking up from that dream that you're having that is so real that you think, maybe I can fly. Maybe I can do these things. And then you wake up and you're like, no, it's just me again. I can't do those things. But when we read this, I think we're, we're getting very, very specific because a prophet is only good if his prophecies come true. And so Samuel has been given this word by God to tell Samuel, no, no this is your reality. And in order for you to believe what I am telling you that's going to happen in your life, a lot of these very, very specific things are going to happen along the way. Not just to say that, oh, Samuel is right, but to say that God is with you. You follow me? This isn't just random. This isn't just information that, you know, that might be on a test if you were taking some survey of the Old Testament, right? How many young goats is the man holding? That's a question they might ask you. Uh, But no, it's, it's really trying to confirm that, okay, God is with me. This reality that Saul is experiencing is true because of all the things Samuel said was going to happen. They actually did happen. God is with me. God is clearly speaking through uh, Samuel to, to Saul. Helps confirm what God is with Samuel. Let's continue reading here in verses 9 through 13. So this is after all these things happened. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all of these signs came to pass that day. And when they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him. And he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over this son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of this place answered, And who is, his, who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high places. The main theme that I'm kind of taking away from this is disbelief. Right, Saul is not the kind of guy to do this kind of thing. But what I think is very significant here, and we're going to talk about this kind of over and over again here in that first verse in verse 9, God gave him another heart. God literally changed Saul from what he was into something different. 
And all those things that he saw on the way, they became true. Therefore, God is going to do something incredible through Saul. And because it's incredible, the people are not sure what they're seeing. This is not the same Saul that I knew. If you want to fast forward a few years later when we talk about Jesus, right? What they say about Jesus, right? Nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? A prophet has no honor in his hometown, right? It's the same idea. The people that you're surrounded with, they see you do great things through God. It's like, okay, something is up here. He is not typically doing this thing. The, same, the, the theme that I keep picking up here is disbelief. You know, this, this phrase that stands out, what is it that happened to the son of Kish? What happened to the idiot searching for donkeys? I don't know if he's an idiot, okay? I'm not trying to imply that about Saul. But what happened to that guy? Because the guy that we're meeting now is completely different. What is taking place? Well, we just read. He, God changed him. God changed his heart. And, and, and I just want you to think about how odd this moment must have been, not only for the people seeing Saul do this stuff, but also for Saul himself. Right? Your life was normal, and now it's not. Your life was about farming or whatever it might have been, but now it's not. And I can't help but think, what would I do in a situation like that? And, and maybe some of you in here are saying, well, I would just trust God. And if I saw all those things take place, I would believe God ordained my life to be this great thing, and I would do everything perfectly. And if you're that person, I want to be around you more, because it sounds like you have really good faith in God. But for me, I don't know what I would do. And maybe it's because I was brought up in the generation of superhero movies, but when I read about Saul, I can't help but think about Spider-Man a little bit, okay? Just so, if, so bear with me for a second, okay? This was the movie that pretty much, you know, as an adolescent changed my life. It's, whoa, this is incredible. This is Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. And if you have time today, go look up on YouTube this scene, and it's great. It's the moment where he finds out he has these powers, Right? He, he's, he can climb walls, and after this, he's jumping across buildings. He's shooting webs from his body, and he's trying to figure out, okay, I was this nerdy guy who didn't have many friends, but now I have all these powers. No matter how I live my life, my life is going to be completely different than it was before. And if you know the story arc of Spider-Man, the whole, the whole phrase is, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Well, unfortunately... This random guy, Saul, is kind of experiencing a similar thing, right? The life that he had before, whether it's mundane or ordinary, however ordinary it was, we know that the people around him didn't expect him to do the things that he was doing, right? His life can no longer return to the way it was from this day on. It's going to be very different for Saul. And I just want us to kind of sit with that and not kind of... So a lot of times, and, I, and I've made fun of Saul as well, Saul isn't the greatest example throughout his entire life. But in this moment, you've got to wrestle with what Saul's wrestling with. How on earth am I going to do what I've been called to do? Okay, I've experienced these things, and, and I've kind of confirmed that, yes, God is with me, but my life is totally different now. What am I going to do? It's hard to return to normal life. For Saul. And we're going to see here just how hard that return is. 1 Samuel 10, 14. So after all this takes place, Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, where did you go? And he said, to seek the donkeys. And when we saw they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, please tell me what Samuel said to you. 
And Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but, but about the matter of the kingdom of which Saul, Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Saul is obsessed with these donkeys, okay? He really, really cares deeply. And I, I think that kind of shows a little bit of his heart, too. He really wants, you know, that to be okay, that situation. But you can see that situation that we just talked about from this day where he's normal to the day where he's anointed king over Israel, where he's questioned by his uncle, where have you been? And he is not going to tell him what just took, what just took place, Right? It's almost like he can't grasp reality as it is just yet. Even though he saw all these things take place, he's not willing to stay, say this to his family even when they ask him, where have you been? I've been looking for the donkeys, I promise, the whole time. Saul almost couldn't admit what had taken place. Nevertheless, it is reality. Continuing on, verse 17. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzvah. And he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought you up out of Israel, or brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were opposing oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set us a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your thousands. So if you're familiar with the story, uh, we need to pay close attention to where all this is taking place. That first line here, it sets us geographically as to something that should be kind of ringing a bell in your mind, okay? Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mitzvah. If you remember just two weeks ago, something else happened right around Mitzvah, right? Does anybody remember? You don't have to say it out loud. Think of it in your head, okay? <laughs> Verse 12 of chapter 7 then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. And it had a very, very similar geographic location. That's the place where they celebrated how far God had taken their people. But it's at the same exact location they reunite to say, Guess what? We don't need you anymore. And that's very intentional, I think, for God to be doing in this place. Because it's a reminder to say, Guess what? I have been with you thus far but thus far you have not been with me. You want a king. You say, set a king over us, and I will give you a king at the very same place where I showed you I've shown up before. But the people of Israel are still kind of, have no qualms with that. This is a great Ebenezer. Thank you, God, but let's see what this guy can do next. Doesn't that sound silly? It's the same exact spot where that took place, same location where God had been with them, but they want to see what this guy Saul can do for their people. And I do feel bad for Saul. Like I said, I do feel bad. This life transition is unnatural, going from a normal mundane life to being the king of Israel. But God chose him for a reason, and God changed his heart. We cannot forget that part of the story. Look in chapter 11. In your Bibles, uh, before that, Samuel, or excuse me, Saul is, 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 is put before the people, and he doesn't even want to come before the people, right? He, he's hiding among the supplies, Scripture says that, and he has to be brought out before the people in order to be shown and said, hey, this is your king now. Saul does not want any of this. And along the way, some people are like, you know what? I don't think Saul is the guy for us. And then chapter 11 takes place. In chapter 11, there's this guy, Nashesh, 
and he is an Ammonite, and he is tormenting the people of Israel. He's going through, and he's getting people together, and he's taking away all of their right eyes. This is not the kind of guy you want to mess with, okay? And when Saul hears about what Nashesh is doing, he is indignant, and he takes a cattle, he takes a bunch of different oxen, and he puts different parts, and he sends them out to all of Israel and say, hey, guess what? If you don't band together with me, the same thing is going to happen to you. And so Saul rallies the people, and he's not indignant because he's, he fears this man or he doesn't want to just put him down and put him in his place. He's indignant because he's doing this to his people. It's almost like Saul is taking his, his, his place and position of authority, and he's saying, let's go, let's do something about it. And Israel rallies, and Israel does something about it. And they rally behind Saul, they're encouraged by him, and the people love Saul. Every single person, even the ones that were against Saul, they love him now. And the people that were against him, everybody else is saying, hey, we should kill those guys because they were against Saul. But Saul says this, and this is kind of important for us to kind of bring it all full circle. But Saul said, not a man should be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. For now, it seems that Saul is living up to his moniker of the king of Israel, right? The ordained leader of God's people. He's saying, no, 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 no. It's not about me. It's not about you. But because today is the day that God led his people and he, and he fought, for, fought for his people. For today, the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. For today, he is led by the Spirit. Everybody loves Saul. Saul knows who won that day, and it's just a great work for the Lord to kind of be put on display for everybody to see. And now, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but we do know kind of how the story shakes out later for Saul. He's not always going to feel this way. But today, I want to kind of focus a little bit on the idea of what the Spirit was doing within Saul, okay? So this, this is the, the big question for today. What does this tell us about how the Spirit works in our lives today? Because we see Saul acting. We see him do these things. We see all these things happening, how he's prophesying. How, how could the son of Kish be doing these things? This is unnatural for him. And he's brought before. He's the anointed king of Israel. All these things. But don't forget what God did within Saul before all this took place. Right? He changed his heart. And so the first thing that I want us to kind of come to, grip, come to grips with this morning is that the spirit has the power to also change you. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to make Scripture all about us. Sometimes we read the Bible, and, we, and I think we should be saying, okay, what does this say to me in my lives? And, but the Bible sometimes has more to do with everybody else and everything. It's not just about you and I. But it is important to recognize just how much the Spirit has individual power to change you and your actions and really how you perceive the world around you. Right? We aren't superheroes, right? We, we, we aren't Spider-Man. We aren't getting bit by a radioactive spider one day. We are a normal person. The next day we are superhuman. But hopefully over time, we don't become superhuman, but we, we become changed human beings because of what the Spirit is doing within us, right? We see this kind of radical transformation within Saul where one day he's this normal guy and then the Lord literally changes his heart, changes who he is the very next day, and he's doing these crazy radical things in the name of the Lord. 
But the same exact thing really does happen to us when we actually realize the Spirit has the power to change who we are on the inside and the outside. If we don't believe the Spirit has the power to change us, guess who does have the power to change us? Ourselves. We give the power that the Spirit has to make us better people, to make us more like Jesus, and we put it in our own hands because we do this thing where we think that willpower has the ability to overpower the Spirit's power within us. Right? If I have enough willpower to stop doing this sin, or if I have the willpower to stop being this type of person, therefore I will become more like Christ. But no, Saul doesn't do this on his own. Right? Saul does not become a changed man because one day he said, you know what, I'm going to read my Bible more and pray more or open up the daily devotional app on my phone. That's not how Saul changed. God changes Saul. And sometimes we give ourselves that power to say, I have enough ability on my own to change myself. You're going to fail every single time. But recognizing the the Spirit has the power to change us is the first step to allowing the Spirit to change us. And you might be saying, Jimmy, are you saying that we have to allow God to do something within us? Absolutely. It doesn't seem like Saul had much of a choice in this story, but we're definitely going to see within the life of Saul, he has choice after choice after choice to be the king of Israel. To be not just the the king in name, but the king in spirit. Right, the actual leader of Israel. He has the choice, but he doesn't allow the spirit to continually change who he is from the inside out. And what I want to recognize from this is that, yes, Saul might be the face of Israel, but God is definitely still king over Israel, whether the people like it or not. God is still king over these people, whether they want to, whether they want to call him king or not. And the same thing is true. We talk about it, right, in Philippians. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess the day the Lord comes back, whether you know it, know Jesus, or you don't know Jesus, right? If we believe that that Jesus is the true power that we talked about last week, he's going to come and people are going to recognize him whether we like it or not. And what I'm trying to get back to is that the power that the Spirit has within you is true as long as we allow it to be true in our lives. Allow the Spirit to change you daily. But this is kind of the part B to that. You must stay in step with the Spirit along the way. What do I mean by that? Just like we read in Galatians 5 this morning. And I I cannot, after kind of combining this 1 Samuel 10 and, and, and Saul's life and knowing what takes place and then reading Galatians 5, I can't help but see the two coming together here, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And this is kind of where I see Saul, and not just Saul, but this is kind of where I see Jimmy and whoever else wants to put their self in this position. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And you might be saying, I'm not conceited. I'm a humble person. I I, I like to give back. I like to volunteer. But it's that same idea of when we think that we have the power to change ourselves, when we have the power to overcome the power of God, to, to take God's shoes and fix ourselves, right? 
we are not in step with the Spirit. We are actually being conceited, very self-righteous to think we can do it on our own. You might be saying, well, it's not, you know, I don't ask for help. I like to do everything on my own. Guess what? That's a bad posture to be in the kingdom of God. Because when you think you can do it on your own, that's when the conceited, that's when the provoking, that's when the envying really comes into play. And when you think you can do it on your own, you're definitely not going to be in step with with your brothers and sisters, but you're definitely not going to be in step with the Spirit. And we're going to see with the life of Saul that he loses step along the way. But for right now, he is in step with the Spirit. And for right now, he's saying, this is the day that the Lord brought salvation to Israel. And for this day, he is being the anointed king of Israel, showing them what it is to be a a child of God. But for us, as we look at this, we can fall prey to the exact same thing Saul is going to fall prey to as well. When we lose step with the Spirit, when we're not in tune with what the Spirit is doing, in the very, very best thing that I heard, because, you know, as a, as a kid and even as an adult, I think, okay, am I any different than I was five years ago? Am I actually living a life that Jesus would be proud of? Am I actually, but this is the big question that I, I bet at least five of you have asked, am I going to heaven one day? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, right? You've thought that question before. I know I have. But when I read Galatians 5 and I see these things, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and and so forth. That the way that we can see that if we're in step with the Spirit, the way that we can know that we're ultimately trying to go to heaven and be with Jesus one day is when these things grow in our lives. Are you more loving than you were five years ago or five weeks ago or five days ago or five minutes ago, whatever it might be? Are you more joyful? And you can go down the list and see... Am I growing in these areas? Because if you are growing in these areas, I believe the Spirit is doing those things in you. And yes, there are plenty of non-Christians in this world that maybe have even more love than people in this room. Maybe have even more joy, peace, patience, kindness, whatever it is in this room. But we have the promise and we have the power behind us that, that we know that when we grow in these things, it's the Spirit changing us and not our own selfishness. It's the Spirit changing us, not just my own willpower and ability to do good things in this world, right? It's the Spirit doing it within me. But we need to acknowledge the Spirit's power, acknowledge the Spirit's guidance in our lives, and continually be in step with the Spirit. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the example that we read uh, in 1 Samuel, that this, this text that we call the Old Testament uh, actually happened. And these are real people that, you know, were changed by you, God. And that we read these as sometimes as stories, just kind of just VBS stories. But they actually have the power to speak truth into our lives. God, help us to see the example of Saul and, and really the example of the spirit working through Saul that take an ordinary man and make him into something just far different that people aren't even able to recognize. God, help us to be those people in our lives. Help us to be a force for good in the name of Jesus in our lives. And God, help us to just recognize that we have to also be in step with the Spirit as we go from this place. God, help us as we, as we journey along. So just let me pray. Amen. And like I've mentioned, it's not just about you being on your own. It's not just about your personal growth, but it's about the collective growth. That's why I love doing things together. That's why I love serving food at Bayside. We had several members this past week. We, we sold homecoming tickets at the high school. We were doing yard work on Saturday together. 
And it's like, when you do those things, you're just not just doing things, you're building up each other, right? It's this idea of we are together sharpening each other as we journey along the way. So my prayer is this morning, if there is something on your heart that you need to share, please don't think that you have to be alone. Please share it with somebody today, whether it be in this building or not, as we come and we stand and we sing.